Makuta Sikhis Khalikya Tes, Parsha Ekev Sikha Gimel. This is also a seam of Mesechta Babakama. From that was the Abishta Gizakta Mesha, from this that Hashem said to Mesha, which is mentioned in this week's Parsha, by the Luchashni and by the second, regards to the second set of Luchas, there Hashem said to him, Solacha Shne Luchas Avonim Kadishainim, carve for yourself two uh, stones, two stone tablets like the first ones. Learn Tab the Gemara. From this, the Gemara learns as Psalosam Shalcha Yehei. It says Psalacha to yourself. What does it mean to yourself? That the Psalos, which means the, uh, the the stuff that remains, the the when you carve something, there are chips which fall away. Those chips will belong to you. And it says that Moshe Rabbeinu became wealthy from those chips because they were a very precious stone that the luchas were made from and he got to keep the chips that fall off, so therefore he became wealthy from that. In the Mishnah in the Mishnah at the end of it lists the laws of a, workman, of a workman which does a certain job for an owner of something and there is also remaining remainder from the thing that he is working on so like stuff falls off like by the story of Moshe that when you carve a stone pieces fall away so the question becomes about those pieces whether it belongs to the workman or it belongs to the owner of the material the Mishnah says the uh, pieces of thread which fall off or lint or whatever that falls off from uh, when you launder clothing so it belongs to the launderer to the person that does the laundry but when you comb wool and when you produce wool so you comb the wool that was shared from the animal so over there the combings the stuff that remains on the comb belongs to the owner. The reason is because there's a lot that falls off, and therefore when it's significant, it belongs to the owner. Because that which a launderer causes the shed, which happens, the shedding which happens from the garment through laundering, is a klenikai, there's only minor and insignificant, therefore the owner of the garment doesn't really care about the tiny little pieces that fall off that's why it belongs to the person that does the washing but the one that combs the wool and there is certain remaining pieces belongs to the original owner of the wool because that is something significant and therefore he doesn't he's not willing to forgo it Vaita bring the Mishnah in the continuation the Mishnah brings under other cases some cases where it belongs to the workman and some cases which it belongs to the owner that which a carpenter, uh, the chips that fall off when he chops away at the wood with to carve something or so on, which are very small with that certain tool, 
it's very small that the pieces that fall off therefore belongs to the carpenter or bakshil but when he's chopping with an, another kind of an axe something which is a different type of a hatchet or axe which causes big chips to fall off that belongs to the owner again because it's significant and the Mishnah is Messiah and the Mishnah concludes and if he was working in the presence meaning in the property on the property of the owner even the very very fine meaning insignificant pieces tiny pieces belong to the owner as well even the smallest of the small which comes from a drill or whatever which is very very small like sawdust so balabayas belongs to the owner not to the workman because it's in the home of the owner when the Gemara the Gemara comments on what the Mishnah said and brings a, and quotes a Brisa we learned in a Brisa those who carve stone there is no there, it wouldn't be considered theft if the workman takes the uh, chips of stone that fall off so in other words by stone it's considered to be belong to the workman the one doing the carving of the stone so the Rebbe Marash quotes this Brisa in a short um, jotting or a short note by Asiyah Mesechta Babakama, which he wrote on uh, commenting on the end of Mesechta Babakama by making Asiyah Mesechta Babakama and Frecht. And he asks, He asks, since the, the halacha says that the, uh, the, the carvers of stone are not considered to be th- stealing if they take the remaining stone, the chips. This is what he says. So we have to understand. Im came based on this. Im came Then why did Hashem have to tell Moshe that the uh, car for yourself, meaning to say that he is permitted to keep the chips that fall off from the luchas that he carves? Since the Allah is that it's not considered stealing anyway. The reason that it's not considered, the Gemara says, the Brisa says that it's not considered to be stealing is because it's insignificant and so it's hefker, it's ownerless, and therefore it doesn't belong to the owner, and therefore the workman is allowed to keep it. For the the workman is more, it's more in his presence. He chipped, uh, he carved it, and it's there for him. Therefore, if he's allowed to keep it, why does the Hashem have to tell Moshe that he's permitted to keep it? That is the halacha anyway. And he gives the answer. The answer is, though over there by Moshe Rabbeinu, it was a precious stone that he was chopping. And over here the Brisa says, stone, ordinary stone. But over there it was a precious stone and therefore it not, doesn't necessarily come under that general uh, permitted status because it's, not, it's precious stone. So therefore we understand that precious stone might be different and therefore Hashem had to tell Moshe that you can keep the precious stone even though it is significant 
but he still gave him permission to keep it. So we have to understand about this. The beer for Reb Marash, this explanation of the Reb Marash, as by Psalosom Fundi Luchas, that by the remain the pieces from the Luchas, we needed a special Pasuk, a special permission from Hashem to save Psalosha that it belongs to you. The Far, because they were precious stones. Is Toli in the Tzvedeis and Medish, this would seem to be dependent on the two opinions which are brought in the Medish. Rablevi, Rabyechen, and Aimer. It says over there that Rablevi and Rabyechen say, Mehecham Solon, where did he carve the Luchas from? One says he carved it from under the throne of glory, from under Hashem's throne. In other words, up in heaven there. Some say, the other one says that he carved it in his tent, the Moshe Rabbeinu's own tent, down here on earth. He found a place, a quarry, in which he was able to find these stones, and that's where he carved it from. Over there in his tent, Hashem created a um, created for him a quarry. That's where he was able to chop and carve out two luchas, and he got to keep the remaining pieces, and that's where he became wealthy from, because they were of this precious stone. So, according, so based on these two, uh, these two opinions, according to the first opinion, the luchas came from the heavens above. When light that say today is the chesibah given lamata, according to the second opinion, the quarry was down here in on earth. As it would seem from the simple reading in our parsha, as the tzibi is given that he said carve out two um, two tablets of stone like the first ones and knock them, and then only after he carved out the stones, valei alai hahara. Only then does it say, come up on the mountain, after you carved out the stones, which means that the stones were carved down here on earth. And that's also the order in which Moshe describes how he actually carried out Hashem's instructions. There it also says in the same order, I made a, a, a box of, of wood, and I carved two stone tablets like the first ones and I went up onto the mountain and the two uh, the two tablets were in my hands which means Moshe Rabbeinu also described that he carved the stones down here and he took them up on the mountain with him and also it also says in the same order and according to the opinion that it was done up there, that Moshe carved the stones up there, and therefore he would have he would have chopped them out there, which means extracted them from the Kisya covet, and then shaped them into square luchas, as it says, So therefore, over there you don't even need the answer that the Rabbi Marash gives that it was precious stone and that's why he needed permission why? and that's why Hashem had to give 
permission. Barim the din is dach because the halacha is anyway v'gebrach fidi in the Mishnah as it's written earlier in the Mishnah as imayayis etzel belavayis that if he was doing the work in the the uh, property of the owner of the materials balantas v'chalayf in somalavayis it belongs to the owner anyway. So therefore, if Moshe Rabbeinu was carving them up there in heaven, which means in the property, in the domain of the owner of Hashem, so then it would have belonged to Hashem, whether they were precious stone, even if they were ordinary stone. And therefore, he needed permission to keep the remainder, because then he's in the domain of the owner. So you don't need the Rebbe Marash's answer. Which means even if it were ordinary stone, not precious stone, since Moshe was doing it uh, in the heavens above, which means in the domain of the owner, which means Hashem, he would have needed permission anyway. That the remainder, the chips, could belong to him. Without the permission, is the dinas because as the Mishnah said, that it would uh, otherwise the the remain the pieces would have belonged to the owner, to Hashem. That's why he needed permission. It's only according to the opinion that he did it down here on earth that he he wouldn't have needed permission. That's why he needed Rabbi Marash's answer that it was precious stone and that's why he needed permission in this case too so in other words the, the answer that the Rebbe Marash gives is really dependent on whether you see he took it he got it up there in the heavens above or he got it down here on earth below base <clears throat> in the Rishima Anal is a Mamshich in that same writing in that same note he continues as Rajbat Gifrekt that the Rajbats Chosid Rav Shmuel B'tzalel asked about this. The Rajbats asked, even if it's a precious stone to Hashem, even precious stone doesn't mean anything; is insignificant. So therefore, why would he need permission? It's still considered insignificant. When the Rebbe Marash had had a and therefore the Rebbe Marash answered, but he made it down here. Because what the, uh, the stones that come from heaven, in other words, let's say the one, the original luchas, which Hashem made, those have no remaining, have no uh, waste. There was no waste from something that comes from above. So therefore, if there was any psalacha, any waste that remained, that must have been made down here. So therefore, he answered Rajbatsa's uh, question. So therefore, that also answers the original, the previous question. Because, uh, as the Rebbe Marash explains, he was doing it down here. Therefore, he was not in the domain of Hashem. And uh, we consider it, as the Rebbe said, that it seems from the Pesukim anyway, that that is where he made it, that he made it down here on earth and only then took it up with him, and therefore it answers both questions, that um, he must have been down here, therefore there was waste, the waste he got to keep, because, it was, uh, because Hashem gave him permission, um, it was not in the presence of Hashem, and therefore, but he needed permission, because it was precious stones. So everything is answered. But it still remains, the question still remains, because even down here, 
which means everywhere, anywhere that Hashem is, is as the Chetzel wherever a person is, wherever anything is, it's all in the presence of Hashem. It's all the domain of Hashem. Maloy kol Hashem fills the entire earth. He's everywhere. And as our sages tell us, and that is actually the final Allah. As the Gemara says that wherever, wherever anyone is, wherever it is, it's always in the, uh, the ownership of Hashem. It's always in the, uh, I don't know, the warehouse of Hashem. As it says in the particular Hashem, that everything belongs to Hashem. Is a filu as awesome lamata. Therefore, even if Moshe Rabbeinu was carving the stones down here, is the psal from the luchas given etzel balabais, the waste that fell was also in the presence of Hashem, in the domain of Hashem. Is the chnoitik the hetem yuchad from psalucha. Therefore, it would need we would need the permission of Hashem to take it. Even if it was just ordinary stone, the Then why do we need the Rebbe Marash's answer that it was a precious stone? Since everything is in the presence of Hashem, anything, any waste that happens in the presence of the owner belongs to the owner, and therefore we would need permission. Moshe would need permission. And even though it's true that on the other hand is the foul from Balabais, that in the case of Hashem, when Hashem is the owner, you can't say that he is particular about it, and he cares about it, and even on the small, tiny little pieces of wood or stone, you can't say that about Hashem. Why? Because to Hashem nothing is of significance. And therefore it's not possible to say that he cares about it. And that there is, really is no difference between precious stones and ordinary stones. Nothing is of significance to Hashem. And therefore the Rashbat's answer is a good question. A question is a good question. So therefore, uh, before we start, therefore, there is a difference. There should be no difference if he did it down here or he did it up there. Hashem doesn't care either way about the importance of it. It's insignificant. And the whole reason why one would say that it belongs to the owner is because it's significant to him. But if everything is insignificant to Hashem, even if it's a precious stone, it wouldn't matter. And he shouldn't need permission to, to take it. Still, the answer that if he did it in the, uh, down here or did it up there makes a difference. Why does it make a difference? There is a difference if he did it down here. Because if he did it down here in, the, in this world, so here we have to consider the reality of this world. The halachas of this world. And therefore, for instance, the halacha is that whatever somebody does in, on, in, uh, in worship of Hashem, he has to do from the best, from the, the most beautiful and from the best. As the Pasuk says, all the best should be given to Hashem. So therefore we see that even though to Hashem all of this is uh, insignificant, does Hashem really care? If it's a fat cow or a skinny cow that you're bringing as a carbon, to him it's all insignificant. Yet, 
the halacha is that when you're doing it down here, we have to consider what is good, what's considered good down here, and that's how we worship Hashem with the best, even though to him it's insignificant. And therefore, if so, even by ordinary stones, not precious stones, since it's in the presence of Hashem, it belongs to Hashem. Because when it's in the domain of the owner, then the owner does consider it significant to him because it's in his domain. So therefore, if it's down here, even though to Hashem everything is insignificant, but since we treat in the world, in our reality, in our world, we treat things as they are seen by us, by this reality, and therefore if it's a significant thing to us, or the fact that it's in the presence of Hashem, in the domain of Hashem, it should be considered important to Him. And therefore, since this is His domain as well, it should be considered, considered significant to Him. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu should not be able to keep it unless He gets permission. And to the contrary, Since everything that Hashem created in this world, he didn't create anything for no reason at all, which means he makes he puts significance on everything that he created. Is the the so the should be the opposite. Not only can't we say that Hashem is insignificant to Hashem, to the contrary, everything is significant to Hashem. If Hashem created, and he means he has a reason why he created, and it is significant. So therefore, everything is significant. Everything is in the Hashem's domain, and therefore it shouldn't matter whether it's a precious stone or an ordinary stone. It should always be considered to be significant and that you need permission. Moshe would need permission to keep it. So therefore, why do we need the answer of the Rabbi Marash? That it was precious stone. It's unnecessary to say that it's precious, precious stone. Even ordinary stone, he would have to have permission to keep it. Gimel. It's possible that we could answer as by from the Mishnah that in regards to wood carvers, the 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 Mishnah's halacha, the uh, what the Mishnah says that if he's doing it in the domain of the owner, then it always belongs to the owner. It doesn't apply to stone carving. Why? The proof is the Baraisa this that the wood, the stone carvers, there is no theft in anything that they keep. in the the tale from the Mishnah That is not quoted in the Gemara in regards to the Mishnah where it talks about whether it belongs to the owner or belongs to him. Nor the when he talks about the exclusion of the stone carvers that anything that they carve belongs to them that is not said in reference to the differences whether he whether it's this size or that size whether it is something that the owner cares about or not it's not said in continuation to that what is it said as a follow up to the halacha that the stone carvers get to keep it is said in continuation to what it says that if he was doing it in the domain of the owner 
then it always belongs to the owner. To this, the Gemara says that if that the stone carvers, they always get to keep it. So we see that this is an exclusion to the law that if it's in the, in the domain of the owner, it always belongs to the owner. To this comes to the, the exclusion that stone carvers always get to keep it, which means that the stone carvers, even if they're in the presence of the owner, they still get to keep the carvings. From them is mashma. So from this it would seem that the stone carvers always get to keep it is nishblays and the pale arbed by zich applies not only when the worker is working in his own domain, nor even if he was doing it in the presence or in the domain of the owner. Like the other cases which the Bryce over there lists, where the work is being done in the, in the domain, in the field or the orchard of the owner, like those who are cutting away the dry wood from, from trees, or they do the same thing to cut away the uh, dried twigs on uh, vineyards, which of course means that they're doing it in the domain, in the, uh, the field of the owner. So the question is, who gets to keep the, the uh, pieces of wood that they cut away? Where the work over there is obviously being done in the vineyard of the owner, which means it's being done in the domain of the owner. So over there it talks about who gets to keep that. And the answer is that it belongs to the owner because everything in the owner's domain belongs to him. And to that comes the comment of the Gemara that the stone carvers, they get to keep it. Which means that's an exclusion to the fact that although they're doing it in the, owner, in the domain of the owner, they still get to keep it. While Pisa is moving to was the Rebbe Marash So then based on this we can understand what the Rebbe Marash is saying. That the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu needed special permission to keep the uh, the carvings is while the luchas and snapirim was only because the luchas were precious stone. Otherwise, he would be permitted to keep it, even though he's doing it in the domain of the of the owner of Hashem. Because by ordinary stone, it doesn't make a difference if you're doing it in the owner's domain or in your own domain. You always get to keep it. So therefore, why does he need permission? Because there's never considered to be theft from the owner because you're always permitted to keep it. So why then does he need special permission? So we understand the Marash gives the answer because they were precious stones. Thus is but this still remains difficult. Because the idea, the reason behind whether it belongs to the owner or belongs to the workman the reason is does he consider it significant or does he consider it insignificant that's always the underlying reason is and that reasoning applies also to wood carver uh, sorry stone carvers why would there be a difference in regards to stone carvers that we would say that it always belongs to them even though it's uh, significant to the owner that wouldn't make any sense is favozol by mesate avonim zayin anders? So therefore, why should it be a different halacha 
in regards to stone carvers in fact we don't find any place in halacha by any one of the poskim that they should say that in regards to the stone carvers it always belongs to the stone carver even though the, the uh, owner considers, considers it to be significant so therefore it's difficult to say that that is what the Gemara means to say that by a stone carver it always belongs to the owner even though it's significant, even though it's in the presence of the owner that nothing else it matters, why would nothing else matter? In fact, we don't find any halacha that says that it doesn't matter, nothing matters by a stone carver. Therefore, it's difficult to say that that is actually what the Gemara is trying to say. Nochmer and even more so, Eichen the Rishime is a medayik. The, the Rishimu of the Reb Marashi also points out that that the reason why if it's done not in the presence of the owner it's insignificant and the workman is it's in his place and it's, you know, he would have to take it and return it and it here it, it's in his ownership it's like now under his control and therefore he gets to keep it would seem that the meaning of that is it would seem that he was trying to explain there since he's talking about stone carving that why is it that the stone carvers have no, it's not considered theft it would seem it's closer to the workman means because it's in his uh, domain if it's in the owner's domain, then it's closer to the owner. But because if it we're saying that even if the stone carver is doing it in the domain of the owner, it still belongs to the workman. It doesn't make sense to say that the workman is cl- more closer to it because he's not. The owner is closer to it. It's in his backyard. It's in his domain. So therefore. It's difficult to say that that's the uh, that's what the Gemara is trying to say that if a stone carver does it in the owner's uh, domain, it still belongs to the stone carver. Why would that be? What's the reasoning behind it? In fact, we see that the Reb Marash himself doesn't seem to accept that explanation. So we're back to the question. Again, the summary. The question is: Since Moshe Rabbeinu was working in the uh, domain of Hashem, everything is Hashem's domain, and everything is considered significant in creation, everything is considered significant to Hashem, because He created it, so therefore it's understood why Moshe Rabbeinu needed permission to keep the the carvings, and He had to be told because even ordinary stone would, would belong to Hashem so why does the Rebbe Marash have to come on to the answer that it was precious stones and that's why he needed permission so we'll understand this by first explaining the difference we have to explain the difference between how these halachas are expressed, brought out in the Brisa and how they are written in the Tesefta there's a difference if we understand that difference, then we'll understand the answer to this question. In the Bryce, it's divided, as we said before, in Tzvei, Faun, and Dinim, into two different 
types of uh, situations. There is Mesatate Avonim Eimishum Gezel. The uh, stone carvers are not considered to be stealing if they keep the remaining pieces. Mefaske Ilonis, the ones that are trimming trees, and Mefaske Gefanim, and the ones that trim the vineyards, Menachfe Hige, the ones that chop away uh, brush, Menachshe Zroim, the ones that are, are uh, taking away weeds from amongst um, uh, plants. So the same thing in the vegetable gardens. When the owner, if it's significant to the owner, the weeds are the things that they chop away. Then it would be considered to be stealing if the uh, if the workman keeps it. But if the owner doesn't care about it, then they belong to the workman. That's how the Brice explains it. In the Tsefta Shtein Zayalutzaman, and the Sefta brings it all as one thing. In Aim Fal Undin as one grouping. It says So in the Brice again, it's divided into two. The stones is one case, and then all the other ones is depends on whether he cares. Whether the owner cares. In the Tsefta it brings it all as one. He lists all of these. The stone workers, along with all the other types of workers. When the owner cares about it, then it is prohibited to take it. But if the owner doesn't care about it, then they are permitted to take it. So the difference between the Brice and the Tesefta is, in the Brice, uh, he separate, uh, separates away the stone carvers from all the other types of jobs. In the Tesefta, he brings it all together as one big thing. The stone carvers, the, uh, the ones that uh, chop away the uh, dead wood, from the, they trim the trees, they trim the, the you know, plants and whatever, the, all of those are together. If the owner cares then he's not allowed to keep it. If the owner doesn't care, then he's allowed to keep it. In other words, as is a by Avonim, that there's a machlekes between the Braise and the Tesefta in regards to the stone carvers. See, by Mesate Avonim, whether it's important by the stone carvers, does not matter that the owner cares? So what's the difference? The Tesefta seems to be saying that over there it also matters whether the owner cares. In the Brice it doesn't seem to matter whether the owner cares. He states categorically that the stone carvers always get to keep their the uh, the remaining pieces, the carvings. Vosid the Tama Plukta. What would be the reason for this machlekes between the Brice and the Tesefta? Well, the higher he notes as in Tur that in the Tur din. That even though the Torah also tells us the law as it applies to the the ones that trim the trees and the ones that are trimming vegetables, which are not actually mentioned in the Tesefta, it mentions a number of other cases which are brought from the Brisa, but those two are left out of the Tesefta, and so the Torah does quote those two which are only found in the Brisa. But then, he, in the final ruling in regards to the stones, he rules like the Tesefta, which is, that 
that he's, the Torah says that the final halacha is that also by the stone carvers it depends on the owner's feeling about it, whether he cares or not. So even though it's not as if the Torah didn't see the Brisa, because he quotes two of the cases that are only brought in the Brisa. So therefore, obviously, he's paying attention to what the Brisa says too, but still, he gives the final ruling like the Tesefta, which is that it matters by the stone carvers also whether the owner cares about it or not. <clears throat> and the explanation of why the Brice and the uh, and the Tesefta argue. According to the Brice, he sees a difference between the uh, stone carvers and the ones that are trimming trees and so on. The Faske Lunds the ones that the trim trees and so on. While their upfall from the Faske is because the trimmings from the trees, Hot has more importance, is more significant than the stone carvings. On the river is just totally in the Kpedas Falabayas, and therefore in the case of the uh, trimmings, the tree trimmings, it has more importance about how the owner feels about it. When the owner cares about it, meaning the tree trimmings, there it would be considered stealing. Then it depends on how the owner feels about it. If he doesn't care about it anyway, even though it's more significant, but he doesn't care about it anyway, then the workman can keep it. Others, Oipsis, and Asrdlekapti, as the Minigan Shemadin, Dort is Nishtamakbedzain. Or, alternatively, sometimes there is the general, in this place, nobody cares about the tree trimmings, and therefore you don't have to go and find out whether this owner cares or doesn't or care, because over here nobody cares. It's just the rule that everybody allows the owner, the workman to keep it, so that you can rely on that. Uh, that they don't care about the insignificant tree trimmings is a so therefore in that case even if a certain owner would care about it and he says no 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 you don't get to keep it but we would say no he has to go according to what everybody else does here which is that everybody allows the workman to keep it and you're cheap doesn't matter the workman still gets to keep it the Adam is in Demart is like Kapti because everybody in this place doesn't care about it, and therefore, in that case, even the tree trimmers would be permitted to keep their trimmings. Thus, in Demfal, which in this case, you know, in the case where either nobody cares about the tree trimmings, or we know that in this case the owner doesn't care about it. Venice is totally in Pedas in the case where it depends on whether the owner cares or not. In other words, in regards to tree trimmings, on the Balabayas is Nishmakbid, and it turns out that the owner doesn't care, either because nobody cares or because this particular guy doesn't care. Sign and Dots, there are two ways that you could see, why is it permitted for the for this workman to take it? One way of looking at it is because if he, since he doesn't care about it, it's as if he stated that it is ownerless. He was mafkir, what's called in the Gemara mafkir. He states it to be ownerless. 
that case, if the owner states it to be ownerless, then it should be ownerless to everybody. When somebody declares something to be ownerless, he doesn't care about it and anyone can take it, it's anyone can take it. You can't state something to be hefker and that only this person can take it. Then it's hefker to everybody. Then it's uh, available to everybody. Not only to this workman. Or there, another way of looking at it is, that's like a gift. The owner is like gifting it to the workman. Since it's insignificant, is the balabayas. And therefore the owner gifts it to anyone that takes it, even if he doesn't know that he's taking it, even if he didn't tell him that he can take it, it's a gift that he gives. So that's true about the tree trimmings. But for the wood car- the stone carvings, was the over there, it says that it's not considered to be theft. Is the chshivas from the brekla chavonim veinik viva mefaske ilonis? The importance, the significance of the pieces of stone, the trimmings, the carvings of the stone are so insignificant, even less than the trimmings of wood that come off a tree. By zei darfmanish onkomet some heter fun embalabais makdaleim. Over there, it's so insignificant that you don't even need the owner to remove his ownership from it to declare or that we declare for him that it's considered to be um, own, uh, that he doesn't care about them. But because they are so insignificant, they are by nature hefker. They are so insignificant that they have no importance at all to people. They are on their own, they become hefker. Not that the owner has to somehow decide in his mind that he decided that they're hefker. When the river affiliates is dabalabayas, is and therefore even if there should be an owner that would say, No, no, he won I think it's important, I want to keep the the uh, stone carvings. Again, he would be his the fact that he thinks it's important would be so insignificant that his opinion becomes bottle secondary to what the prevailing opinion is, which is that this is insignificant. And not only do we say that his opinion is, um, is sort of becomes secondary, not only to, in comparison to other people, because everybody else declares it to be uh, ownerless. It's as if his, his ownership never extends to those carvings because they're so insignificant that they never become his. They are, by the definition, ownerless. And as, as it's pointed out in the Rishima, if you look closely at the words, it says there, and what this means is, because they are ownerless, so they don't belong to the owner. Meaning to say, not only does he have to remove his ownership from it by considering it to be insignificant, they never belong to him in the first place because they are so insignificant. So in the case of the stone clip, the trimmings, over there it's so 
insignificant that they never become the owners in the first place. When they become, when they fall away from the main body of the stone, they are hefker. Not that he has to declare it hefker, they just are because they're so insignificant. But that's not the case by wood trimmings. Because by the wood trimmings, they have some significance, and therefore it depends. How does the owner look at them? Does he care or does he not care? But by stones, it doesn't matter what he, whether he cares, because they're always considered to be insignificant. The signon achaktsas, to say it in slightly different words, in fau from the faske in the case of the tree trimmings, vuas is totally in akpadas where it depends on whether the owner considers it to be significant or not. Other in minigan or alternatively, what do people in general here consider? And if everybody considers it to be insignificant, then it doesn't even matter what the owner thinks. In so in that case is the gedera hefker gavra. In that case, whether it's hefker or the other explanation, which is the owner makes it as a gift, gavra that comes from the owner. The owner declares it to be hefker or as a gift, and it's from his largesse that it becomes hefker. But the object itself does have a certain significance, and that's why we need the owner to decide whether it's important to him or not. However, on the other hand, by the stone carvings, and also, also the Braise there says about different types of insignificant plants, is as over there because of the nature of the object. It's so insignificant that it doesn't even take the owner to have to say and decide that it's insignificant. The object itself declares itself to be so insignificant that it doesn't even need the owner's uh, blessing. Hey, Alpize Yeshleimar. So, based on this explanation, we could say, Ados is the Tamapluktat between the Braisa and the Tesefta, that this is the reason why there's a Machlegis between the Braisa and the Tesefta, Vazokt, as Mesatate Avonim, and a Tolin Kpedes Balabais, which the, the Machlegis, whether it's, uh, the, the Tesefta says that, it's, that even by the stones, it's also dependent on the owner considering it to be insignificant or not. The Bryce said that it's always insignificant. The Tesefta said that it still depends on the owner. What is the reason? What's the difference of opinion? The Chilukolitz vishim Bryce and Tesefta. What is the general difference between the Bryce and the Tesefta? This is Mavur, but before as explained in those who explain the, the general principles of the Shas, is as Tesefta, he Mishnah, Tosefta is something that was added to the Mishnah. Therefore, it's not recorded. And it doesn't say Tanya, it was recorded. It's not written as Tana Rabbanan either, which is what those are the expressions which I use for Braise. Why is it? The Toseftas are what Rabchia organized before he did it in the presence of Rabbi and Rabbi would say write this and write that he would dictate to him what to write and that's why it says 
in the Gemara it says that if Rebbe didn't teach it, how would Rav Chia know it? In other words, Rav Chia, who wrote the, the Tesefta, he wrote everything that Rebbe told him to say, to write. So if Rebbe didn't say it, so then how would Rav Chia know about it? In other words, it's not possible to imagine that Rav Chia would write something if Rebbe didn't say it. And that's what the nature of Tesefta. What is the Brises? Different. The Brises are the, uh, the, the background material that was not quoted by Rebbe. They were taught outside the presence of Rebbe. That's why it's called Brisa outside. Not that something that Rebbe said. And that's the difference between a Mishnah and a Brisa. A Mishnah is what Rebbe wrote and dictated and wrote. And a Brisa is something that was taught in other yeshivas and other places, not in the presence of Rebbe. Whereas Tosefta was always quoted by Rebbe. And that's how Rabbi and Rabbi wrote them, and other sages as well. Braises means outside. They were taught outside the Beis of Rebbe. To summarize, Tosefta was always in the presence of Rebbe, certainly Mishnah, but even Tosefta. Braises were not necessarily in the presence of Rebbe. That's why they're called Braisa. They were outside the presence of Rebbe. Al So based on this, it would come out as the Tesefta of a Siddur Rebbe that those Teseftas which Rebbe always did in the presence of Rebbe is Gizogevar in Etzisrol were always said taught in Etzisrol itself for Yeshiva's Rebbe is given where the Rebbe's Yeshiva was. Mashenk in the Brises, whereas the Brises was his Chutz Lemedrashei. So Rebbe, which were taught outside the presence of Rebbe, Kenzai not the Sigilen Gvarim Bavel could just as easily have been taught in Bavel. Befratas Rabchi is Gekuma from Bavel, especially that Rabchi himself came from Bavel, and he was also the author, very much involved in the organizing of the Brises. Bechlal is Mestaber that the Brises had Mer Shaychus to Bavel. In general, it makes more it's more reasonable to say that the Brises have more connection to Babel because in time of Rebbe already the Jewish people were already banished and they went to different places and they ended up in far off, far flung places as it's quoted in uh, <coughs> the Rambam writes and at that time already Bavel was more the center of Torah than Etz Yisrael itself so therefore other than the Tesefta which we know was done in the presence of Rebbe the Brisa is more logical to say that it was done in the other centers of Torah the bigger centers of Torah which were then in Bavel so here the Rebbe lays down the principle that the Tesefta was the teachings of Etz Yisrael the Brises were likely the teachings of Bavel. Vihine now, from Pasuk Havan Ilvan Alavenim, Vitilan Alavena Laavan, Laavan, in the Pasuk which says that let us make bricks, and they made bricks into stone and they built the towers of Bavel. That's what describes how they built the towers of Bavel. Sokt Rashi, Rashi there says, why did they make bricks? Why didn't they make the towers out of stone, natural stone? There are no stones in Bavel. 
or not too many stones and bubble because it is a low land, low lying land. There are no mountains. Mountains are where stone comes from. So therefore, bubble is short on stone. The river is in bubble. Therefore, in Bavel, where people didn't use stone, it wasn't a commodity. They weren't available, so they weren't a commodity. People didn't use them. Therefore, when in the in the rare occasion when they did have stone, somebody brought stone and they used it. So the pieces that were that, that were carved away, nishgat kenchshivas, they were insignificant. People didn't know what to do with them. People didn't use stone. So what do you do with leftover pieces of stone in a place where it's widely used? So therefore, you figure out what to do with the pieces as well. But a place where they rarely use it, they don't even know what to do with it. It just gets thrown away. When the far zog the brisa, and that's why the brisa, which was taught in Bavel. As that the pieces of stone, nobody cares about it, nobody knows what to do with it. You just they just get rid of it. So in they are by definition hefke, they're so insignificant that you don't even have to make a decision about them. They're just hefke. By the nature of this material is that no one cares about it. When Hamakpid is bottled and therefore even if there were someone that cares, nobody wants to pay attention to his opinion, and they are just by definition hefker. Therefore, stone carvers get to keep their pieces, the leftover pieces, because in Bavel nobody knows what to do with it anyway. In however, on the other hand, in Eretz where stone is something which is very common. Menutzei of Binyan over there, people do use it for building on Shart and other uses. Other and to the contrary, in the Shtapch Eretz Yisrael, Aziz Eretz Asher Avinah Barzel, the Torah says that Eretz Yisrael was praised by these words. It is a land which the stone is like is like metal, is like iron. In other words, over there the stone is significant. That's where you're going to be using stone. That's a good commodity there. Therefore, even the small pieces of stone which are cut away, carved away, they do have importance. More similar to the to the wood uh, trimmings. And therefore, in Eretz Yisrael, you have to see what does the owner think? Does he want them? Does he care about them? Does he not care about them? Because in essence, they do have a certain value. And that is the difference why the, the Tesefta the considers it to be important. And the, oh, uh, uh, sorry. Yes, important enough that you have to get the opinion of the owner, whereas the Brysa, which is taught in Babel, it was by definition considered to be insignificant. Based on this, we'll also understand that Rishima now, the, what the Rebbe Marash writes in his note. Since in the when the Yidin were in the desert, which is when he's talking about when Moshe Rabbeinu carved those stones, versus where it's very uncommon, it's very uncommon that in the desert you should have stone, even though it is mentioned in the stone is mentioned in the sojourn through the desert. Uh, 
for instance, we find by the one that was caught, that was found to be collecting wood on Shabbos, so it says that they stoned him with stone, that they, they gave him skila with stone. So the, the Torah does mention that there was stone available, but it's a very uncommon commodity in the desert. Over there, it's very uncommon to use stone for any material, building materials or whatever. Especially in building. Because when the Yidin were traveling, everything was temporary. But nobody built fixed uh, structures. Since they were always traveling, they were always taking it apart. So nobody's using stones for building buildings when they're traveling through the desert. Therefore, the, the situation of the Yidin in the desert was that nobody had any use for stones. There was no significance to it. And therefore, over there, if you have pieces of stone that fall away, nobody knows what to do with it. Nobody cares about it. And by definition, it has no value. And as the Rebbe Marash writes, because they are Hefker and therefore they don't belong to the owner. They're by definition ownerless. As he said, that they, the nature of the material itself declares it to be ownerless. And not only because this owner, we, we have to get his opinion whether he does care or he doesn't care, canal. So then the question comes back. Since they are that insignificant that nobody cares about the stone, so why did Hashem have to tell Moshe, you can keep it? Over here, stone has no value. Or the chips of stone have no value. So it should have been self-understood. They are, by definition, valueless ownerless, so why did Hashem have to tell it to him? That's the question that the Rebbe Marash asks. If them is their emphasis, and that's why the answer came that by the Rebbe Marash, Shom Snapirim, that over there we're talking about precious stone. The Kan Omer of whereas the Halacha is only stated by ordinary stone. And therefore, in regards to precious stone, you can't simply state that it has no value. You can't compare it to the chips of stone, ordinary stone, which really, really do not have any value in the desert. But precious stone does have value. Because the the chips of precious stone, of course, do have value. And that answer is the the why Hashem had to give Moshe special permission to keep the carvings of the stone. What does the, what does the Rebbe Ramarash mean when he says, and the workman is closer to it? What does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that the workman is closer to it than Hashem, than the owner. And that's why he gets to keep it. Because in this case, it's not even important whether it's in the presence or in the domain of the owner or not. That's not what the issue is. This is only a comparison to other people, meaning since they are... the question, Why does the owner get to keep it? Uh, sorry, the workman get to keep it? Because he's closer to it. Closer than who? Not closer than the owner 
nor uh, but rather closer than any other person. is and that's why why wouldn't anyone else, as he asked before, if it's Hefke, then it should belong to anybody. Then anyone can come and take it. Why only the worker? Because the worker is closer to it and that's why he gets to keep it rather than anyone else. Nobody else can walk into the workshop and say, oh, I'm taking these chips. Another explanation that we could say about why it was uh, permitted for Moshe to take it. The reason that we needed, that he needed to be told that he is permitted to take it, is not because otherwise it belongs to the owner, to Hashem. But rather, it's talking about since the Luchas, what is their place? The Luchas remain, they belong to remain to be in the Aaron of the Mishkan, when Viala Inyani Mishkan and And just like all of the other materials that were used in the Mishkan and the Besa Migdash, they belong to the community of Jews, to the community as a whole. As Dav Zaim Moisa Litsibur Yafa Yafa, you have to have to give it to the to the public to the uh, to the community ownership and has to be completely given over to them a person when he gives it when he donates it has to give it to them totally it has to be truly belong to the tzibur as the Gemara says the Mesira Nochter when Moshe Rabbeinu handed it over after he carved the stone even before he made them it already had to belong to the community it had to belong to the community that even the making, the, the fashioning of the stone had to be done already when it was owned by the tzibur but the, the point is that Moshe Rabbeinu had to be giving it it had to belong to the tzibur to the community so the point being that the luchas had to belong to the community perhaps even before Moshe Rabbeinu began to fashion them and as we understand also from what the continuation of the Gemara there uh, that the Torah was, uh, was given only to Moshe I'll explain in a minute because the Pasuk says it says write for yourself carve for yourself so we learn from there just like the carvings belong to Moshe Rabbeinu because it says Psalacha so also what is written in the Torah is belongs to Moshe Rabbeinu so the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu when, what is the Gemara talking about when that the Torah belongs to Moshe Rabbeinu was given as a gift to Moshe Rabbeinu only that's not talking about the written Torah that means the pilpul to be, to, to be able to extract um, other understandings and other halachas and so on, all the people that goes along with Taira, that's what it's talking about. The Gemara Firtois, as the Gemara there concludes, that's something that was given as a gift to Moshe Rabbeinu, but Moshe Rabbeinu shared it with the Yidin out of his, his generosity, he shared it with the Yidin as well. But it was given directly as a gift to Moshe Rabbeinu. Al says, 
And therefore, in a similar way, it was given, even the carvings, the remainder of the carvings were also given to Moshe Rabbeinu as a gift. So in other words, that's the point of Soyle's Shulcha, why he had to be told that it's given, because by, in essence, it all has to belong to the Tzibur. The, the Luchas had to belong to the Tzibur. That's why the carvings had to be told, he had to be told that he can keep them, those belong to him, similar to the pilpul was given to him as a gift. And although you might say, and even though the carvings of the luchas, even if they were precious stone, since they belong to the Jewish people as a whole, meaning to millions of people, at that time, therefore, if it belongs to everybody, and the carvings, if you divide it amongst two million people, would everybody have one penny's worth, or one pruta's worth? No. And since the, the prohibition of do not uh, steal only applies to a shava pruta or more, and not less, because the Torah only uh, gives this prohibition or, or gives a chiyuv meaning that you would be held responsible if you stole a Shabbat Pruta and more since it's a monetary thing and under a Shabbat Pruta is not considered to be a value as is brought in Allah in regards to Sigzel, that it applies only, the Chiv applies only if it's a Shabbat Pruta or more and here, all the carvings together wouldn't have uh, amounted to a Shabbat Pruta for every single person in the community. The Pshitas is, is uh, so therefore maybe it doesn't apply anyway. A Moshe Rabbeinu has permission to take it. But that can't be true because the Pshita, it's obvious, as it says, also Ligzol Nichzit that even if it's less than a Shabbat Pruta, you're still not allowed to steal from the people, even if it's less than a Shabbat Pruta. And obviously you can't say because it's less than a Shabbat Pruta, the laws of like Sigdal doesn't apply at all. Of course not. Of course it applies. It's only that it's, you're not, it doesn't rise to the level of being chayev for stealing. Because you're not allowed to steal any amount, even the most insignificant amount, and therefore even though Moshe it was less than a Shavu Pruta, still it belongs to everybody, and Moshe Rabbeinu would have and had no permission to take it, and therefore needed a special permission of Psalacha that it belongs to him. Ches. The Bia Pnimi in them, what is the inner, to, to explain this from the inner dimension, that we find differences in the ownership of the second Luchas, which we're talking about, the ones that Moshe Rabbeinu carved, and what are the differences in ownership as the luchas that the luchas themselves belong to the community to all Jewish people but the carvings is that the carvings were given to Moshe Rabbeinu is the in the nesinus what in the when Hashem gave the second set of luchas there is something an elevated status to that. But the Gemara is Mamshich, Kohovalel, as the Gemara continues, as was mentioned earlier, Mapsuloshim Shulchav, Ksavim Shulchav, that by the second Luchas, Moshe Rabbeinu was given an additional gift. 
the writing also belongs to you, just like the carvings belong to you, the writing belongs to you. As Pulpula de Raisa Nitala Moshe, that Moshe Rabbeinu received a gift along with the second Luchas, which is he was given the idea of Pilpul, of being able to extract deeper meanings in the, from the Torah itself. And this only came with the second Luchas. And perhaps this is the meaning, the inner meaning of what is said in that Rashima of the Rebbe Marash, that since he made them down here, he fashioned them down here, that's why there was the carving, something, the waste that came off it. Because the ones from above that were made above, meaning the original luchas, there was no waste. There was no something that fell by the side. Meaning the pulpula. Because Torah, as it comes, as it is found in the heavens above, which in a general sense is the way it relates to the original luchas. The original luchas were as they came down from above. Hashem made the stones, Hashem carved them, He did the whole thing. So it is the Torah as it is found in the heavens above. Over there, everything is so unified. There is there are no differences and different ways of looking at things and different facets. It's all one united concept. Certainly that there is no waste, or what would be called waste. Nor everything is the essence. Everything is the most important, essential part of it. Nothing can be considered to be secondary up there. But then the way the Torah evolves downward into our reality. Which in a general sense is what's meant by the second luchas that the second luchas were given in response to the tshuva that the Yidin did for the sin of the Egel meaning that the tshuva is what triggered, stimulated Hashem to give them a second set of luchas so in other words it was given into the domain of the Yidin down here over here, the Luchashniyas, they already, there is, the unity is not as perfect, there are ideas which are essential, there are other ideas which are more peripheral, and so on, in Torah. Until you can even call it the secondary things, things which are not of the most essential significance. And that's why there is Psalus, there is... Um, uh, waste or whatever that applied to the second luchas. The beer in the So to explain the connection between the uh, the waste belongs to you, the carvings belong to you, and the writing belongs to you, which refers to pulpula de rice, as we said before. Pulpula de rice was is dochan in the, the ability to be able to extract through pilpul that was given as a gift to Moshe is a very elevated thing. The exact opposite of the waste that came about from the luchas. Pilpul is a very is a, a precious gift that was given to Moshe. Because through the luchas, what does pilpul mean? That you can delve into the Torah, can you work hard 
and think about it and extract new and novel ideas from the Torah. Bimavor Baruch and Chesidus, as Chesidus explains, that in this idea there's also two opposite um, extremes, two opposites. That in when you when you have to toil in the study and the understanding of Torah means because there are certain dark areas, there are things which are beyond you, there are certain concealments, the Torah is not as obvious, and it's not as clearly understood as it should, as we would like it to be. So that's one reason why you need to toil in Torah. And that is considered to be like the waste in comparison to the Torah itself. The fact that there are so many concealments and you have to work your way around in the dark. So that's one aspect of the toil that Torah needs from the Dulchus Shniyas. But Meidach Gisu, but on the other hand, is Dafkal Yedei Agiv Torah Kumpman Su Itzu Ikir Ve'etzma Torah. That is only through the toil in Torah that you can reach to the inner dimension of Torah. Hechavi Torah is Mitzadatzma. You can get to a level which is even higher and deeper than the Torah would be on its own. You reach new insights which wouldn't even be there if the Torah didn't have this gift of pilpul. More than would have been available to us if we just had the first luchas. Baruchas is explained over there in Chsidis in at length. So that the Torah has the, the yagir, the what's presented, what comes to us through the second luchas has both opposite extremes on the one hand it's a concealment on the other hand you can reach a deeper level of understanding than you could from the luchus, from the original luchus that is what is meant that Moshe Rabbeinu was given the, uh, the gift of pulpula de'iraisa the Gemara rufta sam pulpula ba'alma the Gemara calls it mere pulpul on the other hand it's called in other words in a, a, a bit of a derogatory term it's mere pilpul on the other hand through this you reach a deeper level of understanding and a more concise and a more sharper and a more deep understanding of Torah you can reach a very, much higher level of understanding Torah that was given as a gift to Moshe, and he was generous with it, and he also shared it with the Yidin.